the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. Last year was a tough year. This year has gotten off to a rocky start as well, and I bet many of us, on more than one occasion, have thrown up our hands and said, why God, why is this all happening? Joe Hoover, a Jesuit brother, actor, and writer, asked this very question in his new book, O Death, Where Is Thy Sting? He asked it again and again as he reflected back on experience he's had through his own life. Experiences in El Salvador, experiences at the gravesides of young people, experiences coping with 9-11 and the wars that followed. Suffering, as it turns out, is not a question easily answered, but it is one that demands contemplation, that very Ignatian approach to prayer. As Joe and I discuss in today's episode, sometimes it just is, and we're left to stand in wonder and awe shock and horror at this unavoidable part of human existence. Nevertheless, there is hope to be found, and Joe speaks to that as well. Hey, Ash Wednesday is one week from today. If you're looking for some great video reflections delivered right to your inbox from all over the Ignatian family, head over to jesuits.org lent. Now, my conversation with Joe Hoover. All right, Joe Hoover, welcome to AMDG. How's it going today? Hey, Eric, <clears throat> excuse me, great to be here. Very, very glad to be talking to you guys again. Yeah, I know, we're happy to have you back and um, really excited about your new book, O Death, Where Is Thy Sting? A Meditation on Suffering. Um, just finished it, I'm really excited to talk to you about it. So I hope you have some uh, awesome answers ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I wanna, I, I mean, I wanna just, give you the chance to, to describe this book because it's very different. Um, it, it's not uh, it's not like a high theology book. It's not um, it's not a novel. It's I, I wanted to give you a chance to just tell me a little bit about uh, how do you describe this book? You know, what were you trying to do uh, in this in this extended meditation? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great phrase, extended meditation. Um, on one level, as just as a writer, I'm trying to just get down and say what I really think is happening. So to be completely honest, the book is in a way just for me to help me say what happened in these events. It's mostly narrative centered around stories, encounters um, at juvenile detention center in El Salvador, um, Jesuit life, working in a large community, working and, and, and as well, just memories of my childhood, uh, a, a classmate who was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing. So, but your job, I, I don't know, I think as a writer is just to try to name what happened as closely as you can. And, um, and then through that, explore the questions of why do these things happen? Where is God in them? Uh, without going maybe too easily to answers that we all come up with, but you know, kind of like a kid saying, yes, but, okay, yeah, but why? Okay, but why? Okay, but why? And kind of plunging even deeper into the questions of of God and suffering. Um, so for a way, almost just for me to explore these questions. Yeah, I, I resonate with you saying kind of like, yeah, but, yeah, but, because that's how it felt. You know, you it, it was a, in some ways a, a brutal interrogation of of suffering. Like you you didn't let us off the hook as, as the reader. Um, and I'm wondering what role... 
for you, did Ignatian spirituality play or your own formation as a Jesuit, you know, as, as a Jesuit brother? I'm sure the idea of suffering has, has come up in your, um, you know, in the classroom or, or, or in, you know, spiritual direction. Uh, so, so how did you bring that kind of unique Ignatian brand into your, uh, into your work here? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, as I think of what the, an Ignatian brand or Jesuit spirituality, ideally the the job of that is just to become more who you are and closer to who God wants you to be and live in the truth of experience more and more to kind of take away more and more cobwebs from life, um, more and more received wisdom, more and more um, of the uh, the barriers and the the conventional truths you told yourself and get to just being with God and being with the world as it is. So um, all the spiritual direction, all the encounters in, in you know, um, Jesuit, uh, Jesuit um, uh, immersions into, you know, foreign countries and studies and so forth. All of it is just ultimately go deeper and deeper and deeper into what's going on in the world, where things are really happening, and meet reality as close as you can, if that makes sense. Um, and the, the Jesuit term is finding God in all things that you hear a lot, but that's actually kind of the core of it, that the divine is completely unseparate, if that's even a word, from human reality. Um, I always remember Thomas Katoy, this great teacher I had at Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley, taught us about the Logos Spermaticoi, um, which is the seeds of, of the word, are, you know, the fingerprints of creation is all created in, the, in a sense and filled with Christ. So um, not to get too high-minded about this, but um, Jesuit spirituality has just put you in a lot of, Jesuit formation just puts you in a lot of different experiences to shake up all of the things you thought you knew about God and where God worked and the ways God would work. So the whole thing is to jar you, for me anyway, out of the received places and people that you think God is or is not and surprise you into where God actually is. Hmm. You're making me think a little bit of um, kind of kind of taking on the perspective of contemplative, you know, that you're really uh, staring, you know, observing what really is there. Uh, and, and, and again, not looking away and really being mindful of what's in front of you. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that, that idea of contemplation kind of to me really was 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 powerful, like poignant in your in your book here and in how you're describing it. Yeah, I mean, I think when I pray, for instance, I'll start to pray and think nice thoughts about God or, you know, whatever, but, or let's say you look at an icon and, and tr or look at the crucifix and try to have an experience of the crucifix and like, okay, let me think about what's happening there. And let me make philosophical religious. Okay. Jesus is dying and he's dying for me. And this death is painful. And I have been liberated from this death. And, but it's like, well, okay, there's that. But then also just look at the cross. Like what is literally there? There's wood. 
there's a person, there's nails. What's that about? You know, it's like literally be with the thing, look at the thing, notice the thing and trust that following the material objects of the world will lead you to without presupposing the wisdom that will come out of it will lead you to something. Mm, I like that. And that's where that surprise probably comes into play, right? That God of surprise. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, you know, they say like a child just looks at everything with wonder because everything is new. And uh, maybe that's the job is to just, and I guess any writer is supposed to look at something and, and see and describe it a way it's maybe never been described before. Um, and that's, that's what you'd love to do anyway. Yeah. So speaking of that, I know you're an actor, I know you're a playwright. I wonder what role uh, creativity plays for you or played for you uh, in, in kind of grappling with this, this issue of suffering. Yeah. I mean, I, um, as a, as a writer and just in general, you know what it is? It's, it's about kind of the same thing. Like as an actor, you have to just let go and be in the moment. <laughs> they all talk about that. Every artist, the poet, the painter, the actor, the musician, they have their craft. They know what they they know what they're doing. You know, they learned how to play the, but then they can let go and let the music take them. Um, so it's to, I guess, follow your imagination and not let yourself be limited by where you think it should go, but instead go where it actually goes. So for instance, you'll always see, you know, some villain in a movie. They're not usually like, ha ha ha, I have you now, you know, they're like, <laughs> you are under my evil plan. Look at this. It's like, I have you now. You're under my, you know, they're like, how are you? It's good to see you. You know, it's, yeah, I'm going to kill you now. And, um, and then I'm going to feed you to the dogs. And that's the way it is. So it's surprising, you know, it's just like, but you don't presuppose how this character should be. And you don't presuppose where the story should go. So in that, that nature of, of being surprised and kind of, you know, discovering, you know, new, new insights into, into these stories, you know, some of these stories you, you share, they're all really powerful and some are really heartbreaking. I wonder what it was like for you because in some sense there there was no surprise you knew how they ended but but what what was the process like going back into these stories and 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 digging up i imagine some some old pains you know picking at some old scars yeah i um a lot a few of them had already been published essays standalone essays in magazines and places and so it was a matter of kind of bringing them out and putting them in the in a arc of a narrative somehow um, and so in, in some ways I did have a detachment from it and my job was not necessarily to re feel everything, but to try to make it make sense as a writer. So to be honest, I wasn't so much, um, having a lot of powerful emotions around this stuff as I was trying to craft a way for it to make sense. Um, yeah. Is there one story um, 
uh, that really just kind of tugged at you, or you really felt like this is the one I really need to tell? Well, the there's a couple things. There's one that I was really trying to tease out and make sense of again. And it wasn't so much a story as it was the narrative around how does Madhyamaka school of Mahayana Buddhism relate to the practice of detaching from reality and dealing with suffering. Um, And so to find a way with the help of my professor actually to thread that into a Christian understanding of suffering was um, one I really wanted to get right. And I probably didn't. I mean, I'm not a Buddhist scholar. I took a few classes, but um, it was helpful for me to widen out to a different spirituality beyond Christian to maybe understand my own Christian spirituality even better. Um, The other one, though, that I actually did want to kind of get out is there's a sequence about, you know, original sin and how we blame original sin for things. And you can ask, well, why did God allow us to have original sin? And can we really blame original sin for everything? And it goes on to interrogate, you know, the fact that all these kids that I've worked with briefly are in jail and may be going back to jail again and again and again in juvenile detention and then as adults. And if, why is this happening if Christianity is supposed to be the thing that heals the world and in particular, Catholic Christianity claims to be the fullness of truth about how God is manifest in the world, acting in the world, healing in the world, creating justice in the world. If those things are true, why are all of us Christians letting the structures of society go on, whereby all these young kids keep going back to jail again and again? Where are the Christians? Where are we? This is obscene that things like this continue to happen, that all these kids languish in jail and go back again and again and again, many for the rest of their lives, in and out, in a world full of supposedly other-centered Christians who are following the healer and liberator himself, Jesus Christ. So that's a story that I just kind of had not to attack Christians, but that's just the the reality is that's the case. So I did I have I have that in there and reading it I still I still agree with what I wrote. If I could say that. Yeah, no, that's always good to to agree with what you wrote. I I um I wonder I mean, did did you come to any you know not you don't give anything away in the book obviously but any conclusion like with like, like that's something you have to you still hold I imagine that frustration that uh, sadness how how do you um, how do you encourage others to kind of not throw up their hands and say, well, it's going to keep happening. Even the best of us are failing. Let's just, uh, you know, throw in the well, towel. For me, like once I acknowledge that, you know, and, and say, wow, this, this seems just this close of desperation. And 
horrible and pathetic and absurd. Then the fact is I'm still fundamentally Christian. And you cannot be Christian without having somewhere in your DNA the virtue of hope. It's just, You cannot be Christian without that. That's the fundamental bedrock that it all is redeemable. It all can be. I mean, I don't want to give a theology, but but that that in a way I couldn't write something like this if it was all absurd and and infinitely nihilistic and um, it would be a, just a different kind of book. <laughs> but um, as a Jesuit, a member of the Society of Jesus, and as a Christian, obviously, and that it is. I'll just speak for myself, my job to wake up and do one little bit this day and one little bit the next day and one little bit the next day um, and hope that it moves the ball down the field a little bit. Soccer ball, not football. Of course. I want to read a, just a brief excerpt here um, that I think gets a little bit to what you were, you were saying previously. So you're right. The bitter joke that we fall for every time is that God created us to be greatly depleted so that we could become abundant in God. The Lord cast us deep into the well of mean existence so we would grasp onto the rope he throws down. We rely on God to get us through the terrible things God lets happen to us. That that just really struck with me. That seemed to be a theme, at least in the, the first chunk of your book. And I wonder if you might just kind of comment on that, that brief paragraph. Yeah, I don't, I mean, reading that again, it's like, that is a painful thing to read. Um, I don't have much to say about it other than that, that it's there. And, and I mean, you know, we rely on God to get through the terrible things that God allows to happen to us. That makes no sense. <laughs> so it's like a haiku or something. It's just like, it's just there. Um, and I don't honestly have an answer for that. Um, and at least in that part of the book, I am trying to go as deep into the question that I think anyone would have if they really explored what happens in the world and is the cause of so much disbelief by people, whether of complete throwing up your hands or of periods of darkness or doubt or that God allows these things to happen. And theologians will talk about free will and what does that really mean? And is free will a gift? And does God allow or does is tragedy a good thing in some way because it magnifies God's power? You know, there's all these theological, traditionally theological answers, but for me, the book is more ultimately kind of like a poem to just say, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. This is not a science equation. It's not um, a sort of spirituality book, but more like a, a long poem to just say, here's the thing. For me as a reader, um, I thought that that little bit, again, just kind of really captured a lot of kind of what you were saying um, in those first pages. Um, but it, it felt like a, I kind of said like, like it pulled me in, um, kind of like kind of going down and under, and then kind of coming up on that the hope side that you you pointed to. Like there was always that little glimmer of hope, um, 
and I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. It was, it was, a, it was a real journey. It was a journey in faith in some ways, right? That there would be hope on the other side of this, of this, of this journey. Uh, one of the things that you, you did in that process, I, I thought, and I appreciated, um, was you, you kind of, uh, you, your tone is raw, right? It, it really kind of cuts down some cliches. I think that, that sometimes we hold to, um, as a way to kind of keep from going down deep, into the heart of, of suffering and, and, and this mystery of a, of a God that seems to allow it to happen. Um, but I wonder still, you know, you, you presented a number of cliches through here. You know, what, what's the balance between like a cliche is good because sometimes we just can't go that deep. And, and other times it's like, well, actually, no, like you gotta, you gotta break through and you need to keep going because there's, there's something on the other side of this. We just can't see it yet. Yeah. I mean, this book is a thing for this. It's not a thing for that. Like this isn't something maybe if someone lost had a deep tragedy in their life today, I'd say, here, read this book. Like this is not maybe a comforting spiritual book to lift someone up into unless they've they're at a place where they're ready to you know it's so right. So in other words, in other words, um there's sometimes that I want to just say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, or just say, hey, it'll be okay, or I'm with you, or you're suffering, aren't you? And there's other times when I'm ready to just feeling in a, some kind of stable place where I can say, let's really explore a um, explore these stories. And I'm in a place where I can kind of you know, hear it and my heart's open and, um, and I'm ready, but it's not for every moment and every person at every time as a general prayer or a wash of spirituality, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that also gets at that, you know, sense of, of needing to know yourself and knowing, you know, the people around you, you know, where they are in those, those, you know, grief journeys or just life journeys. I, I want to read one more, uh, one more excerpt just cause again, I, I, I kind of laughed at this. Um, I, again, you could comment or not, but uh, you're right. Ah, the old conversation ender. God is love. God is good and God is love. All of that theo-philosophical talk finally gets down to the old chestnut. God is love. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Everything now makes sense. Armed with this certainty, all those lottery balls click in all the right spots for everyone's ticket, and the goats too end up at the good place because God is love. And according to Paul, love never fails. Love never fails. After all, isn't that your experience? Love has never failed you. Isn't that right? And you just end a chapter with that. And I was just like, oh man, like what a, I just, it just, it, it hit me, it hit me hard. And I wonder again, if, if any, any kind of like, what, what were you driving at there? What were you trying to, were you, were you trying to poke at the irony? Or were you trying to, to dig us deeper? Well, what did you, I mean, if I can ask, I mean, saying love never fails, isn't that your experience? Love has never failed you. Isn't that right? What did you take from that? I guess. <laughs> I, so I took, I mean, you know, I, I, yes, it has in some ways, right? Or, or no, it hasn't. I, I guess, you know, I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking of it as a cliche, like, like at a wedding, um, where of course, like you don't want love to fail, um, and yet there's hardship to come. Like it's not necessarily the failing of love, but, but it's, it's, it's challenge and hard and, and difficulty is, is on the way, and, and it's not going to feel the same way all the time, and so, you know, kind of buckle up. That was kind of how I felt in that, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, 
for me, again, it's more looking at this, oh, love never fails. Okay. Really? <laughs> Lots of love fails. Lots of love relationship fails. Lots of um, hope for love, unrequited love, denied love, um, shattered love. I mean, someone could then, I mean, you know, you look at any of these things, you can make theological arguments. Well, love, God who is love never fails and these kinds of things. But, you know, this is not a theology textbook. It's a way of looking at, um, yeah, the story is insane. Even this is even this um, working for me right now. And some people could find Bible passages infuriating that other people find comforting at times. I want to circle back on something you brought up earlier, and obviously it's a, it's a key theme of the book, um, kind of your, your exploration of, of uh, Buddhist practice and, and the Buddhist approach to suffering. Um, and I, I just wonder if, you know, what, what role, uh, you know, you said obviously you're, you're, no, you're not a Buddhist scholar, but what, what role has Buddhist spirituality played in, in your approach to suffering, your approach to life, just, you know, your own academic interests? How, how do you integrate that with your own, um, obviously, Christian, Catholic uh, kind of worldviews? Yeah, like I said, I've kind of had an interest in Eastern spirituality and did study it at Berkeley, Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley. Um, and there's something to, um, well, the culture today, it's an attractive way of engaging spirituality for a lot of people who maybe find Christianity off-putting or so I think it's interesting to explore that and why is that and what's really there as opposed to what we think Buddhism might be about. Um, but I'm also really interested in, in other words, Buddhism can be seen as like an easier path or just like it's not dogmatic or hierarchical or sort of uh, grand castles of Vatican <laughs> power and empiric history you know, that Buddhism is sort of like, let's just kind of meditate, um, which it's not. It's a very rigorous spiritual path, you know, with ex high expectations for someone who takes it pretty seriously for how one lives one's life. But, um, but it is interesting to me to explore it for its own sake, but then to see where it does as they would say, have points of contact with Catholic Christian spirituality, in particular Ignatian spirituality about detachment. That to me, that's one of the most interesting things that there is a deep wisdom, as I understand it, in the idea of not clinging to fleeting things of the world. And that, that sounds a lot like Christianity too. Um, to detaching from expectations, to detaching from fame, to detaching from what we think we should have and living with what really is, you know? Um, that's the whole thing is to experience reality as it really is um, and not the, you know, the, the impressions of, of reality. Um, so non-clinging, detachment, 
And there's a lot of that in Ignatian spirituality, not clinging again to where we think God operates or what we think we must have. We cling to neither fame nor um, anonymity, riches nor poverty, health nor sickness, but only to what God wants of us. And there's a divergence, obviously, where you do cling to Christ and a Buddhist doesn't have a Christ figure. But that journey all along is really similar. So it helps me to understand my own faith. And um, in some ways, it's just interesting to to explore a, a theology that has captivated so much of Western culture and understand why that is and what people are looking for and what they find attractive. And then to say, well, what you think you're going for may be much more rigorous than you actually want. Um, and it's not just kind of like hanging out and doing yoga. It's much more um, intense. Um, so there's some Catholics and Christians who kind of like write this off. They don't believe that anything exists or there's nothing there. I'm not really a person or I'm not here. And that's really simplifying the whole uh, philosophy. Um, and writing off any religion like that is not, um, well, I don't think it's wise because there's, um, it, it's not helpful to be simplistic about anyone's religious system. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I had a spiritual director once who, who encouraged me saying, you know, it, you learn more about your own faith and your own, you know, Catholic worldview by by trying to enter in through the door of of, a, of an Eastern religion or Eastern philosophy because it's it comes from such a different tradition, a different culture, a different history. Um, and there's and and you do you end up kind of getting a new vocabulary for for spiritual truths that you've been practicing all along. Um, at least that's my was my experience. Yeah, and and the danger that some people do is like, well, it's all the same. We all worship the same God and it's all the same. They all share the same truths, Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and Jainism and Taoism and you know, Muslim uh Islam. Well, they don't. I mean, <laughs> it's disrespectful to any religion to say, "Oh, it's all the same as that other religion." And that, you know, just try to kind of blend all these things together. That's 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 pretty inappropriate, you know, and to acknowledge the points of divergence, the points of contact and the points of divergence, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just last question. I, I wonder, you know, your book is on suffering, but you, we started the conversation in many ways talking about hope. And so I wonder in these, in these hard times, what, where is your well of hope? Uh, how, uh, you know, what's, what's fueling you, um, and, uh, and maybe what's not, what's, you know, where, where are you wrestling? Wow. That's, that's such a great question. Um, you know, on a really simple level, I, I met with a bunch of Jesuits, um, and I meet with friends, um, who from all over the country who I would never have met and gathered together like this ever, if it wasn't for the pandemic, for instance. And I've built relationships or rediscovered relationships that I never would have discovered or built otherwise. Um, and, you know, I really, I mean, God really is at work. Um, and it's so ridiculous to think of, did all these people have to die so I could meet this dude from, you know, Encino Beach, California and hang out with him on Zoom or something like 
there's no even interrogating that question. There's no, but, but it is a fact that, you know, people have, it's brought good things out of people, creativity. Um, I belong to a theater company that offered free classes. I mean, excellent world-class training for free. Um, I took classes. I wrote a couple of plays. I learned monologues. I mean, in my own life, you know, I explored Brooklyn in a way I never would have had. I mean, these are kind of, some of this is not, doesn't seem the most earth shattering thing, but for me, it has opened up stuff. Um, uh, and pe- there's a lot of people who've come together in ways they never would have otherwise. Um, and new ways of, I, I, I work with a group called Crown Heights Mutual Aid. I'm in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And these are a bunch of people who go out and shop for each other, pool their money together, raise money, um, provide groceries to the elderly. I'm getting involved with young people, neighbors, longtime Crown Heights neighbors in ways I never would have outside of this. And it has brought extraordinary things out of people in this community. Not only are they doing the very basics of food delivery, grocery delivery, they're also doing things like um, eviction defense, like literally standing in front of people's homes when police or sheriffs are coming to evict them from their houses. Um, Black Lives Matter marches where they're doing like support with food and water and masks and, you know, hand purifier, um, doing, um, you know, rallies around bad landlords, around gentrification and housing, jail reform. So all of this has sprung up because of the pandemic. And um, it's awesome. I mean, there's just no way, other way to say, but that it's awesome. Pandemic, death, destruction, horror, injustice, disparity, that's here, the joy and work of justice and mutuality and community that's sprung up is here. How to make sense of it, I can't, but keep looking over here <laughs> at right. where justice and hope and goodness are at work. Keep my eyes on this piece. Know that that's over here and I can't deny the dark aspect of this, but if I stay there, then I lose sight of God, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It almost makes me think of kind of how you were describing some of those lines in your book. Like it, it is, that's just, that just is what is. And now, you know, what's, as, as we kind of deepen our, I don't know, go deeper into it. Like what, like, what's the surprise that's going to come? Like, where are we, you know, what, what avenues are available that we didn't expect? Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Yep. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, uh, I'm undercutting yeah. your good point no 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 i i i agree i mean again it's like i don't know kind of a zen thing like just okay here it is here's reality just be don't cling accept things as they are you know don't fight reality don't wish away things and live in denial and be outraged that a thing ever happened you know there's outrage that there was a president, a previous president, there's outrage that there was this president. There's, and it's like, well, okay, I could live there. I could try to just accept and 
and then deal with the reality that comes out of that acceptance, whether it's struggling for change, whether it's living with joy, whether it's um, doing what I'm called to do. So, um, so yeah, finding out what new pathways are open is totally right. I think. I think that's a good, it's a good place to leave it. Uh, in, in, on, a, on, a, on a happy note on our discussion on suffering, on a right? Note. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Well, hey, Joe, I really appreciate uh, you talking to us today and, and, and uh, an excellent book. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, um, but thank you so much. Awesome. I'm totally glad to be here. Thanks, Eric. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.